Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Milkman of St. Gaff's. I'd like to thank some new patrons. Todd Van Voris, Fly Sprayer. Peter Kubiak, Fly Sprayer. Carrie Bouchard, Milkman White Badge. And a big shout out to our new Dola radio clerk, Martina Don Vita. Thank you so much for all your continued support. Also, just to let you know where we're going, this season, the podcast will end at episode 42. This episode, number 37, is called Seatology. It's time for The Milkman of St. Gav's, starring Howie the Milkman. The men hardly ever spoke with me. I never really figured out why. We had a job to do, and I had a key role to play. They told me what I had to do, but that's all they told me. I sat off to the side, listening to them joking around with each other. The black, fishy-smelling smoke rose like ugly, crooked fingers, clawing at the Arctic sky. We'd come ashore on rowboats to harvest the oil. The ship sat in the bay, just a black silhouette against the ice and sea. We'd taken down a whale, not a felina, mind you, but there was still some value in ordinary whale oil for these men. So we'd cut out long strips of fat from the whale carcass and boiled them in huge iron vats. They threw blubber on the fire to keep it hot and to keep it going, firewood being scarce here. We despaired of ever finding a Felena. The hopelessness cast a pall over the sailors. Even their laughter sounded small and hollow in the huge, empty landscape. And if ever we did find one, considering the trouble we'd had with this whale, 
it wasn't certain we'd be able to bring down a much bigger fish. An ordinary Felena, I heard them say, was easily twice as big as this one. I sat on one of the boxes we'd hauled out, in the cool sunlight, watching the fire. I dozed. I don't know how long I'd been out here, but my thoughts, as always, went back to home and to Stormy. I was thrilled to finally have a radio. When we turned it on, though, we didn't hear a thing. I turned the dial all the way left and all the way right. Nothing. Moved the antenna around. Just static. Then Stormy noticed that the electricity was out. The electric lights weren't working. The radio had batteries, but the radio station couldn't broadcast anything. We cursed our rotten luck, but I didn't get upset. We just decided to go out for a walk like we usually did. We just talked about this and that, got a hot dog on the boardwalk, and ended all the way down by the little amusement park, way out at the eastern edge of the East End. It was closed for the season, but I told Stormy what it was like. There were races, donkey rides, tightrope walkers. You could actually get a steam ferry from the dock downtown that would take you across to here. They had snacks on board and iced slush drinks. I really miss that. Your parents used to take you? No, I never went to the park. I never took the ferry either. So why did you say you missed it? I guess I meant I missed that I didn't ever get to go. Other kids told me about it, so it almost seems like a memory, you know? I guess. I don't know if you can miss something you never had. That thought really stuck with me. I didn't say anything, but it seemed to me that I missed a lot of things I never had. Walking through the East End with Stormy was a nice moment I'd never forget. But a sailor nudged me awake. The sky was darker now. There was a reddish glow on the mountains. The fires were going out and they decided that I had to go back and get more bundles of wood from below decks. They figured I was young and nimble, so I'd be able to get the wood before the fire went out. I rode out, watching the men get smaller, until they were just little matchsticks on the shore. I tied up the rowboat. I'd become quite an accomplished sailor myself by this point and tying knots was no problem at all. I climbed up. I had the whole ship to myself. For a moment I stood there watching the sinking sun. I could pull up the anchor right now by myself. I'd search for the Felena myself too, alone. I looked back at the little dots of men on the shore and the smoke. If the fire did go out, I could always just leave them there and sail off over the dark broad seas to find a new world over the horizon like some hero king of old. I'd sail beyond the sunset and just keep going beneath the jealous stars until I sail right over the edge. Then I froze. I wasn't alone on the ship. There was whispering. I heard rustling below decks, where the wood was, where I had to go. Maybe I'd just row back ashore and tell the sailors there wasn't any wood after all but they'd probably figure out that I was lying when they got back to the ship. Maybe I could just row out to sea and hope this would all end and that I'd be home before I starved to death. I was a milkman, though, in a line of brave milkmen like Corwin and Frank and Beaver. I told myself that whatever was down there, I could handle. So I opened the hatch and made my way down, down. 
I took the ladder backwards so I wouldn't have my back to whatever was down there. Something flew at me and I fell most of the way down. It was flapping and terrified. I could see its black eye. A blackbird was trapped down here and panicked. Somehow it couldn't find the open hatch. It was bigger than normal and it smelled musty. It flew right into my chest, wings flapping. I tried pushing the disgusting thing off me, but it kept pushing into me. Its little feet were clawing at me, the eye terrified. One last push and it was gone. I clambered up the ladder, looking up to the dimming sky, but the bird flew up behind me. I could feel its wings all around me as I climbed up out of the sewer in front of the church of St. Fleming. It must have been just before dawn since it was quiet. The bums weren't making much noise. There was just one digging around a trash can. I stood and marveled at the glowing, stained glass. It was beautiful in the darkness. The church was just about the only nice building in the East End these days. I was exhausted and hungry and annoyed that I still hadn't gotten any phlogisterian. There was nothing to do, though, but start walking home. Excuse me, what day is it? It's your uncle's birthday. I'll take off. <laughs> wow, these hobos are a lot ruder than they used to be. As I got into the nicer part of town, I noticed that they'd been replacing the gas lamps with electric lights. They looked dim and cold. I guess that was the future, though. I asked someone there what day it was, and they said Wednesday. So I'd been gone a few days, and luckily I still had a few days before I had to do another experiment. Finally, I was home. Stormy? Hello? I guessed she was out somewhere. How strange. But there was a bunch of mail addressed to Stormy. I looked through it all. Huh. Fourteen checks from the patent office and a bunch of gobbledygook. I guess this one can go in the stove. I went up to bed and I was dreaming before I even fell asleep. The door opened downstairs. Stormy? Howie, where have you been? I ran down to see her. She was wearing strange clothes. The experiment lasted longer this time. Where were you? What are you wearing? I got a job as a checkout girl at the market. I didn't know if you were coming back or what. I went to the milk station and Dwyer said he couldn't tell me anything and that it was all top secret. Stormy told me all about her new job and how hard it was to memorize all the different prices of all the different fruits and melons and everything. I could see that from now on I was going to be hearing all about her co-workers and the customers. It was a bit frightening. I was trying to find a way to change the subject. Oh, I almost forgot. There's mail for you. A bunch of checks. Maybe you won't need that job after all. She looked through the pile of checks from the patent office and started crying silently. I could tell it was going to be a really long day. I felt bad for Stormy, though. <laughs> there, there. At least you have something nice to remember about your father. I miss him. Stormy was pretty upset, and I couldn't get back to sleep, so I decided to go see Father Abraxas all the way back in the East End. I took a streetcar this time, though. I'd been meeting with him when I could. He understood that my schedule was a bit up in the air. He'd made a bunch of plans, though. He really wanted to stick it to the Tertullians who were going to be prosecuting me. I was amazed at his brilliant legal mind. 
We were going to have surprise character witnesses, arcane exegesis on the great whaler's conception of eschatology. I couldn't wait. The trial was going to happen any day now. Since he was my lawyer, he was going to get a notice from the Cosmo Ecclesiastical Telegraph Company, and then we'd have to appear in court the next night. He'd already been granted a motion to have the case heard in night court, since I was usually pretty sleepy in the daytime. Speaking of the night, when I showed up for my shift that night at the milk station, Joseph was standing there with his arms crossed. And where have you been? The experiment lasted longer than usual. I had to walk home by myself every night since you've been gone. I'm sorry, buddy, but it can't be helped. I'll tell you what. I'll go to the librarian's house the rest of the week, okay? Okay. Hey, Joey, I wouldn't leave you hanging, okay? We're buddies forever. He perked up a bit when I said that. I could tell he felt a bit lonely, like he wasn't quite the same as the rest of the milkmen. It was almost good to be back in the annex. I missed the coast road on St. Gaff's, but in the end it was better to deliver milk with a partner. And I felt a strange affinity with all the weirdos here. The only really bad part was how the shift always ended. I racked my mind trying to figure out a way to pick the lock on the librarian's door, but I'd run out of ideas. Tonight, when I got to his door and was feeling pretty lightheaded from the mist, I realized that Joe hadn't given me a paperclip for the lock. So I took a chance and just turned the knob. I almost fainted when it turned in my hand. I pushed the door and it opened. Inside, the place was all black and it was hard to see. There were some lit candles that didn't give off much light, dusty old bookshelves everywhere, dusty stuffed blackbirds, and a dusty old man who was laughing at me. <laughs> Panic took hold of me and I tried to run, but it's like I was underwater and I couldn't move. The librarian just laughed more. <laughs> Don't judge a book by its cover, Howie. I turned to the old man. He still sat there. How do you know my name? You're out there almost every night trying to deliver milk, which you could have just left on the step, by the way. I can hear you two knuckleheads talking out there. Then he sneezed. <laughs> a cloud of dust kicked up around him, and I watched in horror as he ripped a page out of a book that was beside him. He blew his nose and wiped all the snot away with the page, then crumpled it up and threw it on the floor. Don't look so aghast, son. No one wants to read this one. On the floor, there were a whole bunch of crumpled up papers. Well, now that we've delivered your milk, I'll be on my way. I was walking off, but he was cackling. <laughs> I know what it is you seek, young man. I'm the only one who knows anymore how to get what you need. I turned. That's not true. There are others. Travis knows. Travis. <laughs> Travis is a well-meaning old fool. Has he ever caught a Felena? Ever brought back a drop of the liquid? No. He just sits and stares out to sea, wishing he lived in some other time and place. And what about you? You just sit here forever, sneezing into your old books? I don't claim to be a seeker. But I know what all the Seekers have forgotten. Did Travis ever tell you how to acquire the liquid? I didn't think so. A cricket bowler could have all the potential in the world, but that doesn't mean he can figure it all out on his own. 
You sit a while, and two or three nights I'll make you into the holiest diver of this generation. Diver? <laughs> that night, I sat at the foot of the librarian, brushing aside the boogery pages, and I imbibed the wisdom of one who truly knows. He instructed me in the means and methods of acquiring the sacred juice. I left the place walking on a cloud of dusty black mist, only to discover that Joe was gone. I cursed my ill manners. I should have told him what was going on. I'm sure he thought I just vanished and was waiting for me by the mattress. I was sure the little guy would forgive me anyways. When I got home, I was totally ecstatic. I finally knew what had to be done. Stormy had all that money coming in, and soon I'd have the phlogisterian, and I'd probably be hailed as a hero for helping to create the special gases that were going to subdue our eternal foe to the north. When I woke up the next evening, Stormy was there. She'd had a long day, and everyone was complaining about how poor the pumpkins are this time of year, but I didn't pick them. That's terrible, sweetie. Listen, there's some very good news coming pretty quickly. I want to celebrate. Let's go to that place on Fine Street where they serve those beef wellingtons. We can even try some red wine like the fancy folks do. I heard Professor Lammy say that beef wellington and red wine is the best food anyone can get. We can't afford to go out for dinner. Why not? What about all those checks from your dad? I put the money aside. I opened a bank account and we're going to put the patent money in there and live on your salary. We have to start saving for the future, you know. It's a funny thing because I never really thought of myself as someone with a future. There were lots of dreams of the future, raising rabbits in the backwoods of St. Gas with Stormy. But I always sort of knew that they weren't real possibilities. Realistically, I always thought I'd rise through the ranks to become a middling milkman and then have a moderately exciting career. Stormy would go off and marry someone else and I'd marry some regular other girl who would never understand why I always looked out the bedroom windows at night, pining for the one who got away. But instead, I had her right here in front of me and I could grab her bum whenever I wanted. I really was a lucky guy. Well, I think I should get a say about that money too, and I say we go for Beef Wellingtons. Howie, no, I'm serious. With that money, it's like my dad is still taking care of me. Stormy, I knew your dad almost as well as you did, and believe me, he'd smile at the idea that his girl was using that money to go out and have a great time at a nice restaurant. She thought about this a moment, and I could tell I'd hit a nerve. I just needed one final push. No dishes, you can wear some of those nice clothes you never wear. And just like that, we were ordering ourselves Yorkshire puddings and a second bottle of southern wine. I knew what to do in a place like this after going to the steakhouse with Lammy a few times, and I could tell Stormy was impressed with all my refinements. Who says a milkman can't have class? We loved having someone serve us dinner. We were pretty tipsy, and we started giggling, and we didn't even care that the stuffed shirts were staring at us. And then she was crying, thinking about her poor old dad. And really, she was right. I missed him too, to tell the truth. We walked back, wobbly and happy, and I realized I was supposed to be at work already. I had to just leave Stormy to walk the rest of the way home on her own, and I took off for the milk station. Joe! Joe, I'm so sorry! About last night... You're sorry? You stink like a wino, Howie. 
I had some drinks. It was the wife's birthday. I figured he couldn't stay mad after I said that, and I was right. And I didn't take off last night. I actually got in. The librarian told me all about what I need to do. He's really not such a bad guy once you get past the boogers and dust. I guess you're right, Howie. It was a great night after all. I'm really glad we got to be friends. And then one of the strangest things happened. Dwyer was blabbering at me from behind. I turned around. All right, Howie, we're putting you back on days for a while. Jeffrey's going to go back to nights. You mean Joseph? I thought maybe we could be partners all the time. Joseph? No, Jeffrey, the guy who was doing nights before you. But what about Joseph? Is he going back on days too? Why the hell do you keep talking about Joseph? What Joseph? Joseph, the other milkman who did night shifts with me. Dwyer just stared. You're bloody weird, Howie. And just like that, the pecker had turned and walked away again. The whole thing left me with a sort of spooky feeling, but I just went home to Stormy's drunken snoring and passed out. Stormy, of course, doesn't normally snore. I made a mental note not to let her drink so much in the future. The next day, on my boring old route, I was sad as hell that I was alone in the truck. I missed the strange little guy. But we milkmen have to have a stiff upper lip, so I grinned and bared it. Anyways, I could hardly stop thinking about what I was going to do once I was back on the ship. And sure enough, when Saturday night came around, I found myself on the deck of the black-sailed ship. And to my horror, I realized we were headed south. The seasons change, son. We'll not be caught around these shores when the Witch of November comes. But I know, I know how to get the phlogisterian now. We'll have to wait till spring. We've stayed here too long already. So south we went. The air was colder. I found myself below decks more often than not, trying to stay warm by the oven and the stinking old cook. Above decks I watched the sea mournfully. Just when everything I wanted was right within my grasp, it slipped through all of my fingers. I thought about asserting myself. Weren't we all here mostly for me to perform my duty? I was just screwing up enough courage to face off against our captain when there was a tattletale sound in the rigging. The ship pitched to the port all of a sudden, and cold wind hit us like a bomb. She's come early this year, mates. Waves broke right over the decks, and I had to hold tight to the railing so as not to get pitched into the sea. The witches squall, everyone below. The sailors pulled down the sheets as fast as they could, then struggled to the hatch. I just stood there with my hands gripped on the rail, transfixed by the green glow right alongside the ship. It was snowing now. Howie, get below! But I knew what I had to do. I pulled out my milkman's knife, my milk bottle, took a deep breath, and dove into the stabbing cold water. My skin was burning with the cold and my eyes burned from salt. There were only a few seconds before I'd have to breathe or before my limbs froze up. The sea was lit up with the massive phalena. It was probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, and the great fish was just a blur, but I pushed with everything I had and found the underside. I felt around, like the librarian told me, until I found the inward-facing teat. I plunged my knife into the Felena's side. 
There was a horrific cry. But there was also an explosion of white liquid. I gasped a bit and swallowed some of the fishy liquid by accident. I filled my bottle as best I could, put the cap on. The Felena had pulled me down some. I swam up to the surface and saw for the first time there were two Felena, one much smaller than the other. The last thing I saw before getting to the top was that big Felena on her side floating down, the light flickering. The small Felena followed the big one down on its downward drift. I couldn't believe it. I was back in Ming's Bite and for once not too far from home. I was shivering and exhausted, but I felt the still warmish bottle of phlogisterine in my pocket. Stormy was asleep. I just put the bottle on the counter and I went to sleep too. I didn't have any dreams for once. When I awoke, Stormy was just getting ready to go to work. How was the experiment? Fantastic! I did it! I got the liquid. But the bottle, it's empty. That bottle of fishy milk, I poured it out. It went bad, Howie. I won't tell you what happened next because it wasn't one of my finest moments. I was mad, I'll admit it. I probably yelled and screamed. Of course, in hindsight, I realized I shouldn't have gotten so mad. But eventually I calmed down and went all the way to the grocer where Stormy worked so I could explain to her boss that she was late because of official milkman business. I spent the rest of the afternoon just trying to calm myself down. I told myself that I'd done it once, I could do it again. Where there's one Felena, there must be more. That flickering downward drift kept bothering me in the back of my mind, but I tried to convince myself not to worry. The other little voice that kept yammering at me said that maybe the librarian wasn't really on my side like he said he was. It was Sunday now, and Stan said he'd pick me up in his car around 8. So I stood outside around 7.30. Stan would know what to do, of course. I went out early, like I said, and whenever a neighbor asked me what I was doing out there, I said loud and clear that the head of the Department of Lactic Affairs was picking me up in his car. I don't think anyone believed me. And very annoyingly, when the shiny black car did come around the corner and stopped in front of my house, no one was around. The driver got out, came around the open door for me, but I just stood there for a minute hoping someone would see me. Howie, get in here. So I got in and the big motor revved and off we went, driving through Ming's Bite in style, red velvety upholstery, nice and soft. I had it, Mr. Stan. It was there in my hand. And what happened? Stormy poured it out. He turned and looked at me. Stormy? Yes, she knew I was trying to get the phlogisterian. I mean, I didn't tell her what for or anything, of course, just that I had to acquire a certain liquid. I hope that's okay. She's my girl. I can't completely keep her in the dark. So she knew I needed this liquid, and without even asking, she pours it all down the drain. I was asleep. I was exhausted from diving into the ocean, and it was freezing. Stormy knew you were looking for phlogisterian, and then she poured it down the drain. I know. What was she thinking? He settled back into his seat, looking pretty miffed. 
The other thing, the librarian, he told me how to get the liquid. Is it right that Felena feed oil to their babies? Is it usually white? What? I wonder sometimes if the librarian isn't maybe on our side. You know, maybe we need to pay him a visit if you know what I mean. Perhaps you're right. To tell you the truth, I think he might be positively... evil. Evil? There's no such thing as evil, Howie. My mission here is in large part to rid human beings of those superstitions. We have science now, Howie. It can explain everything in time. It can make life better, improve our quality of life. The way we've rationalized milk delivery and purification, for example. This leads to a better life for everyone. Our project with the Crepusculator, it will bring a swift and complete end to the war, again bettering the lives of everyone. Talk of evil only stunts progress. Better to strike that word from your vocabulary. We will pay the librarian a visit. In fact, your old colleague Frank is being transferred here. You and he can visit him. The librarian may not have been entirely truthful, or he was obfuscating. Either way, we will deal with him rationally, and we will discover the truth. Stan had very graciously agreed to go see Father Abraxas with me. Stan was going to testify at my trial about how important I was, so that's where we were going now. We didn't get to talk too much more since we'd arrived at the church. The driver opened the doors for us and we got out. But we didn't go in. We just stood outside the Cathedral of St. Fleming, not saying a word. The stained glass windows were dark. The whale bones had all gone out. <laughs>